Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Kevin, as always, wonderful to join you. And the next man, I assume, you will introduce. (laughs) That's assuming a lot. I'm going to actually introduce him, but I am going to do that. Here's our old pal, Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How are you? Oh, hello. I'm fine. <laughs> you always sound so excited every time you come on this show. Uh, well, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to respond to David's very formal and handling of the handoff like a robot. So I just kind of say, hi, I'm here. Let's, that's that's David's AI is where this is where the world is moving. Yeah, get used to it. That's David's persona. I'm I'm convinced that you already are artificial intelligence, David. <laughs> Except the intelligence Except part. For the intelligence part. <laughs> yeah. It's a little Remove bit of a that stretch. component and yeah, right. I know. Yeah, yeah. Half intelligence. That's what I'm gonna call it. <laughs> um so anyway, the Cowboys they played so long ago, I can't even remember what that <laughs> when that was. When they played uh, Tampa Bay. It seemed like last month, uh something like that. But anyway, they, they came close to winning that game. Uh, we've all, uh, so close Kevin and hashed over that. So close. Uh, yeah. If, if, uh, Greg, the leg, uh, actually had a leg and if it's his back, that's the problem. I don't know what it is, but anyway, could have won you that. You know how game. long ago that game was? How, how long ago? Evan? Tom Brady has turned 43 since that, uh, apparently since that game ended. No, I think you have him going backwards. You're going back in time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's 44, but okay. So. Yeah, that's okay, Evan. Good job. Good job on that line. Uh, oh, well, let's, can, we'll edit that out. Jeff will edit that out. And a little more due diligence. Okay. Dad joke. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we, we had to edit out your entire appearance here. We did that. Uh, so the, the, Our research department gave you notes. Please read them before we do this podcast, okay? Yes, exactly. Thank you. All right, so we have established the fact that there are no moral victories in the NFL. None. Uh, when you only play 17 games, there are no such thing as a moral victory. Every but it was every a feel game, good loss, wasn't it? It was a feel. Well, here's the, here's the thing. It was that, that game. That game told you that first of all, that uh, Dak Prescott is weeks ahead of where we thought he was, or at least yes. where I thought he was. Uh, he looked like in mid season form. Uh, just played uh, a, a great game, uh, and that the defense, while still lacking in a lot of areas, uh, still. To me, the biggest problem is still at cornerback. There were a lot of guys running free out there uh, in that game. But there were other things uh, that for a, a defense breaking in for the first time with a, where a, a rookie linebacker is your primary 
you know, along with Demarcus Lawrence, obviously your, your primary players. I thought it was at least passable. Uh, I, I, I say going into that game, if they held Tampa Bay to 24 or fewer points, that that would be considered a win for the Cowboys, no matter what the score was. Um, they, they scored more points than that, but still I, I, I thought that the defense played pretty well and that that bodes well going down the line here because of the schedule that they play. Now, the problem is, is that the schedule they play now includes the Los Angeles chargers on Sunday and, uh, if they start out this season 0-2, David, can Cowboys fans really feel good about where they go up from there? Well, very quickly, I, I think even though it was a loss, I don't know of anyone outside the organization who really thought they had a realistic shot to win the opener against Tampa Bay. And, and I would argue many people were suspicious about their ability to really stay close and have a chance to win late in the game. So I, I think I think the the opener altered the early expectations for this team because uh, Dak Prescott coming off a major injury, not throwing for three weeks in training camp. There were, there were genuine, uh, there were genuine questions about how ready Dak Prescott and this offense would be to start the season. Uh, I think everyone was very comfortable that it was going to be one of the league's best offenses and and really the the chance to be an elite offense before the regular season was done. But there was some question about how long would it take before you were able to see that. The fact you saw it in the opener against Tampa Bay's defense, which carried them to the title last year uh, with how they played against some outstanding offenses. And look at what they did to Kansas City's offense in, in the Super Bowl. The fact Dak Prescott in that offense operated at such a high level to start the season without having played together in the offseason was a very encouraging sign and leads you to believe this team is a little more advanced than you thought it would be coming out of the gate. Defensively, it was a wild ride. You know, they gave up four touchdowns. Uh, They also forced four turnovers. But I would argue for a defense in its first game under a new coordinator, with the rookie and Micah Parsons calling all the defensive signals, going against a quarterback who has won seven Super Bowl titles, uh, you saw some some signs of hope in that offense, and, and you saw what that speed uh, and that uh, length can give you on the on the defensive side of the ball. I would say the most discouraging thing was Dallas got two leads in that game. They lasted for 38 seconds and a minute and 22 seconds. Uh, Once you get a lead, the defense has to make a stand to prolong that to actually shift momentum. So at two key momentum shifting moments, uh, that defense didn't rise to the occasion. That's what you're looking for going forward. Now, going into this Chargers game, I thought thought going into this season that that this was 0-2 written all over it for the Cowboys because I thought the Chargers were going to be a very difficult game on the opposite coast coming out of Tampa Bay, uh, that Dallas wouldn't be ready uh, to, to split and win that road game. But I think the way Dallas performed in Tampa Bay uh, alters that blueprint a little bit. I, I think that you should give a little more serious look at Dallas's ability to win in L.A. Not saying it's going to happen, but I think they're better equipped to do it than I thought they would be uh, going into that game before they play Tampa Bay. Uh, 
starting 0-2, I would say, is minimized somewhat because you now have a 17-game season, not a 16-game season, and you still play in a bad division. And coming off of this, you have three consecutive home games. And it starts against a game with Philadelphia, uh, who should be your primary, uh, you know, them or Washington should be your primary competition in the division. So uh, I think it's it's minimized if you start 0-2. But you're still putting yourself in a position where you can't get above 500 until, you know, mid-October. You don't want to be in that position. Uh, and and Mike McCarthy said uh, going into that Tampa Bay game that one of the benchmarks he always looks at is a team winning its first road game. Well, if they don't do it this weekend, you're also not going to do that until mid to late October. And that just kind of delays you know, you gaining any momentum in the season. So uh, it's not a must-win game, but it's a it would be a significant win. And another loss, I think, would just lead to fans rolling their eyes going, okay, you know, they teased us again with Tampa Bay and then come back and lose to a Chargers team. Eh, same old team. So, so you don't do anything to re- to to reset the narrative. And, and that's what this team desperately needs to do is to reset the narrative. Yeah, I, I don't know that we know enough about uh, anybody at this point, obviously, uh, but but especially in the NFC East, uh, we see Washington lost uh, Fitzmagic in its opener, uh, which might have been questionable anyway to, to, to go with him as the uh, uh, your quarterback at this point. Uh, he's played for like – I think he's played for every team in the NFL uh, and has led none of them <laughs> except to the Dallas, playoffs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and so now uh, they've uh, they've got a guy who who played for them in the in the playoffs last year and did, played a pretty good game. He's uh, fans like him, uh, and so but the jury's still out on what Washington can do. Their defense didn't look that great in the opener, um, uh, and the surprise team in the NFC East. Uh, anyway, in the first weekend was Philadelphia. Uh, Jalen Hurts had a good game and played well. I, I think against Jaylen, Atlanta, yeah. So we can ask Evan about Atlanta. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so Evan, let's not Evan, you, let's not put that stock too high in Philadelphia yet. Uh, I will just impression? say this: that was the most embarrassing performance I've seen by an NFL team in an opener, maybe ever. Um, <laughs> wow! If, <laughs> ever, if, ever, if. Um, if, if and I, otherwise, Philadelphia is not bad. I mean, I I, I thought that Jalen Hurts did a good job moving the ball down the field. I thought he had some rapport with Devontae Smith immediately. Um, it looked like in the rookie game, well, they had they have something there. Um, I, I think that this is still something of a rebuilding year for Philadelphia. But if it is. They showed some encouraging signs. I, I think the biggest issue that they had is something that you experienced with a first-year coach. There was there were a lot of penalties. Um, I, I so I just look at this Cowboys first stretch of the schedule, and I'm like, okay, this is all well and good. I don't see how they get to the to the to the bye week any better than three and three. I, I think that's still just where they're going to be come bye week. And then I look at the second half of the schedule, and it still comes down to me, where is the real hot streak going to come from? You know, where, where is that extended stretch going to come from? 
I, I see a team once again, you know, at eight and nine or nine and eight. Yeah, and I think that goes back to Kevin's point. This game is an early crossroads game for them because if you get to if you get to one and one here, then I would argue you're looking at four and two going into the bye, not three and three. And I think and, that makes a big, that a would big make difference. a big difference. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. So from that standpoint, yeah, I think this game is significant because I, I think you are staring at a four and two versus a, a three and three, and you know a, a very quick point. Uh, Mike McCarthy and his, while it, it's still a brief tenure as the Cowboys coach, has never had this team above 500 since he's been the Cowboys coach. Uh, you can do that here if you win this Chargers game, then come back and win that Monday night game against Philadelphia. Uh, but, but do you really want to go in? Again, they lose here. Chances are you're going into the bye week, and he's still never had this team above 500 as Cowboys coach. Uh, that creates some other issues. And they made some uh, – the bottom line of all this is they, they made some uh, inroads here in, in the opener. And as, as you said, David, no one expected them to win that game. I didn't even think it would be close. Uh, I thought they would lose by at least 10. Yeah, uh, me too. So uh, I think – What do we know? That, what do we know? Uh, so that was a step That was a step forward. But, you know, that's the thing. You're the Dallas Cowboys. You're, you're, you're not supposed to just be playing them close. You're supposed to be uh, an elite team. That's what, that's what they've been positioning themselves toward. And so this game against the Chargers is the kind of game, if you're, if you're wanting to go somewhere in the playoffs, this should be a game you could win. You've shown that your offense is ready to go, right? Yep. You, you've shown that your offense is, is in midseason form. So, and that was going to be the big concern. You, you know, the defense was just supposed to be – uh, you're hoping the defense would be average, you know, mm-hmm. not awful. So it it played pretty average in that first game. And it so, shows you ga- it has the potential to be in the middle of the pack, maybe a little bit better as the season goes along. We'll see. At least a yeah. chance. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. And so, and so if that's what you're planning to be, and if you're planning to be a team that could potentially get to the NFC Championship game, then you need to win this game against the Chargers. Uh, yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and, and very quickly – is there any other franchise that swings from encouragement and hope to despair quicker than the Cowboys? <laughs> I mean, the, talk about a buzzkill. Everyone is buzzing about how good they looked coming out of the uh, uh, opener. And they couldn't even get through lunch the next day before, okay, Michael Gallup uh, is going to be out for three to five weeks with a calf strain. And then an hour and a half later, oh, by the way, our starting right tackle, Lyle Collins, he's going to be out for five games because he's going to be suspended under the league's substance abuse policy. Uh, Very quickly, they are going to start Terrence Steele again at right tackle going into the Chargers game. I do not get it. Zach Martin is the best, even though he's a Pro Bowl right guard. He swung out there last year in an emergency, and you showed he was your best right tackle. We're talking about five games. We're talking October 31st before Lyle Collins can come back and play in another game because this takes you up through the bye week. You know, I understand going with Terrence Steele or even Ty Naseki, their veteran backup, if you're talking about a week or two. But you know it's going to be five weeks. You know this is a significant period for you. I think you can make a strong argument this team is better swinging Zach Martin out to right tackle for five games and starting Connor McGovern at right guard, who did an outstanding job against Ndamukong Sue and that interior Tampa Bay defense in the opener. You're a better offensive line doing that over the next five games 
versus keeping uh, Zach Martin, bringing him in, in at right guard and going with Terrence Steele. And I think there's a good chance you'll also see Ty Nasecki out at right tackle. Uh, let's see how Joey Bosa likes that on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's not a good prospect to me. I think we all still remember that Atlanta game where uh, uh, yes, th- they was uh, a, a terrible job by uh, the, the two tackles they rolled out there to the left side to replace Tyron Smith. All right, we'll see how that goes. Uh, now, Evan, you you wrote something uh, the other day and uh, about uh, the the Rangers uh, possibly. That was today. That was today, Kevin. We're recording this on Tuesday, and it was today. No, I, I read it online. I'm I'm a a 21st century man. I'm I'm reading stuff digitally. I'm not even you know we go out and get the newspaper, then we roll it up and we start a fire with it. So that's 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 why I take the, the, the our, our newspaper. Yes, so and anyway. to all our loyal subscribers, <laughs> we want to thank you again so much for your loyalty to the print product. <laughs> I love you know I go out there every morning. I pick up my paper, and people drive by me, and they go, "What's that?" Uh, but but anyway, um, I, I, uh, I I I read your story. I read your little story. You know that that's <laughs> your little story. <laughs> That's that's one of our favorite you know, forms of uh, dismissive uh, shot. <laughs> Being dismissive, yes. Say your little story. I heard your little opinion. Yeah, you heard your little story about the Rangers signing one of these shortstops. So you you brought up the the, the guys who are available, starting with uh, Carlos Correa of Houston. Uh, you also had on there Trevor Story of Colorado, Corey Seager of the Dodgers, and uh, did you have another one? I did not. I mean, I, 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 you know, both Marcus Simeon and Javier Baez will be shortstops after this year. But I, I think that um, the Rangers' interest would circulate primarily around these guys. Um, if anything, uh, maybe I'd include Simeon over Baez if I was going to add one more. Um, and and the reason is the reason that I'll get to here that I, I convinced myself of last night on the drive home. Um, Carlos Correa, I, I'm convinced, is the best of, of the shortstops. But it's going to take a 10-year contract to sign him at $300 million Ooh. or so. Um, wow. And in that regard, what I'm, I'm, all these shortstops are good now. And I want the guy who's going to be willing to take the shortest term deal of this group, because my focus on this on this is get me a guy in here who can give me my my offense some needed uh, presence, who can bring presence to the clubhouse. But my my belief is that my farm system, which has gone from 24th in talent rankings to 11th in talent rankings is going to start producing soon. And I don't want to overpay now for a guy who at the end of this contract is going to be nothing but a burden. I need that value now. So I lean towards story, um, obviously, because there is the Dallas connection. I believe he does want to be here. Um, I, I think there's some concern that perhaps the New York Yankees would be interested in him. But I think if I'm the Yankees and I, I've decided I need to go get a shortstop, I'm going to go for the guy who is the best of the group. And I, I'm convinced that is Correa. So uh, story is where I would go. And, and if not story, then I think I would think a little bit about Semyon. Uh, I just feel like both Seeger and Correa are going to take longer term uh, commitments than 
would be prudent for a team that is that is trying to build but thinks it's got players coming and needs to also address some other situations. D- David, when you look at this line and the Rangers lineup, <clears throat> excuse me, do you look at it and say, if I sign this guy, this is going to put us on the road to recovery? Well, we know the road to recovery is long, so I don't know that one player is going to do it for you. But here, here's where I really wrestle with it. But I, I, I do believe they need to get a cornerstone player in free agency this offseason. Uh, you can't continue to go forward without establishing foundational pieces. Uh, they've gone too long without establishing a foundational piece, which I would say is is really working against them right now. So I think that is something they need to rectify this offseason. They need to sign a player uh, who they can look at and say, we don't care where we are in this. This guy is going to be here with us. He's going to help us to start turn this around. Now, I would also argue where they are and just the fact you're in the free agent market, you're going to have to overpay to do that. Um, will they do that? I, I think it's, I don't think they have any other choice. I think just because of the position they're in, they're going to have to acknowledge, yeah, we're paying too much for what we're getting, but we're trying to establish something here. It goes back to what Evan was saying about a, a presence. They, Strictly from a talent standpoint, you could say it makes more sense to take that money and spread it around. But I just don't think they're in that position. I think they've been flailing about without establishing foundational pieces for so long. They have to say, no, we've got to we've got to do it now and we've got to live with it and go forward. And we have enough other players coming forward that we will make this work. But we have to get a prominent key figure and establish him this off season. It will make the other guys around him better, take some pressure off of them. That is something we have to do. Kevin, I think your, your point, your, your question said the road to recovery. And I, and, and as David said, the road to recovery is long um, and it's going to take more than one step. They have said that they will be active in free agency this year. Now the question is not whether or not they're going to be interested in these guys, I think the question is going to be, are these guys willing to pay the tax that David just referred to that's necessary? Because they're not going to be a contending team next year. And if they want to get one of these shortstops, they're going to have to money whip them. Um, And they've saved over the last couple of years with what their payroll has been. So I think two things. One, they're going to have to, you want to get one of these shortstops, you're going to have to be willing to go to the seven-year, $245 million deal that you weren't willing to go to on Anthony Rondon for one of these guys. And two, you better be prepared that it's not your only move of the offseason. Because I think they've also got to bring in at least one pitcher to do the same role with the starting rotation. Yeah. See, here's my issue with everything that where they are right now. I'm watching that game last night or, or on Monday night uh, between the Astros and the Rangers. And good game, by the way. Uh, did, you, did you watch all of it, Kevin? Well, I, no. I, first of all, <laughs> I think I think I died and came back again <laughs> in the time that it took to play that game. I think the Rangers just died. They didn't. They didn't come back. So it was. Uh, I think fifteen to one was the final score. It was unbelievably 
unbelievable game. Uh, let me just say something on Spencer Howard. I don't know what it was that the Raiders saw in Spencer Howard, but the Phillies sure didn't see it. Uh, and uh, I mean, he's just up there throwing batting practice. Well, I, it, to, to, to this point, I mean, they are, they feel like Spencer Howard had a number of things that were not working for him in Philadelphia. They are trying to overhaul it um, right now and feel like it's all going to be, it's all a work in progress. It's going to pay dividends in the long term. But it right now, I, I have the same question. And I asked Chris Woodward last night. For me, for me, the, the thing is, AJ Alexei had come out and had two really good starts, uh, historic starts for, for guys making his first starts. He, for me, would be the priority. And so if he's the priority, he would be the guy that starts. And, and I feel like bringing him in in relief, even though he started a clean inning and everything, I thought that took him more out of his routine than than was necessary. And I did not, that was one move I did not agree with. Well, let me just say this, that, uh, yeah, AJ Alexi's stuff looks far better than Spencer Howard's stuff. And so uh, to me, that that's just a no brainer. Taylor Hearn, stuff looks far better than Spencer Howard's stuff. So these are guys that have legitimate chances to, to have a shot at the rotation next year. Spencer Howard shows nothing to give you an idea that he's ready to step into the rotation next year. So, right, but, so, but remember now, I mean, if you're going to have a contending rotation, you've got to have 10 or 11 pitchers. No, and, you do, but he's not ready to pitch at the major league level right now. No, but that's, that's my point is if this project takes the off season, spring training and two months of next year, and he's ready to contribute at some point in time next year, when inevitably somebody gets hurt, that's, those are the kinds of pieces you need. I, I, I completely agree that what I've seen from Spencer Howard to this point has in no way, shape or form been encouraging but i also feel like it is it, it is a long-range project there okay well let's hey, we, kevin we, what we, would you do in free agency though this offseason we veered off top of me uh thank you david uh my, my approach would be that um i i i like what evan said about a, a marcus Simeon. somebody i, I want to step down a couple of notches to a guy that is a proven hitter uh, a guy who has a presence a guy who could play second or shortstop uh, either, either one. Uh, uh, I, I do not want to give anybody a 10-year deal. Uh, I'm really feeling that a seven-year deal is really pushing it at that point. But I do a seven-year deal with somebody. And they certainly got plenty of money to spend. It, it, it's not a question of that. You can give a guy $30 million a year if you want to. That, that's that's fine. They're not spending any money anywhere else. Uh, and and But I remember what, what they did with a guy named Alex Rodriguez. And they brought him to this club, and they money whipped him to get him here, and uh, and the team wasn't ready for him. And uh, you know there was the famous you know twenty five kids, uh, Alex and twenty five kids in the clubhouse when he left. And then the Rangers were, were paying his contract with the Yankees for the next oh I don't know twelve years it seemed like. And, so, and there's one difference here versus the Alex situation, and it's just this: Alex pretty much is a reprehensible human being. <laughs> um, <laughs> On so many fronts, and he's, he's not the kind of he's not the kind of guy that you're looking for to, to give you a presence. And it was a bad baseball evaluation at the ownership level at that point in time to insist on paying him 250 million when nobody else was giving him anywhere close to that. So uh, yes, you've got to be smarter in all this. But I think in guys like Story and Seager and Correa and Semyon in particular, you've got four guys 
that are not so concerned about what their corporate logo is going to be as they are concerned about what what they can bring to a club. The big question I've got with a guy like Story is no matter what the connection is to Dallas, Correa's won a World Series. Say Seager's won a World Series. Semyon, by some chance, might win a World Series with Toronto this year. Story's going to be in a position where he wants to win. That's what he has not done. And I don't know how the Rangers can make the case to Trevor Story that we're going to win in 23 or 22 or 23. The best case scenario would be 24 when he's going to be looking at 32 years old. Yeah, I, I don't know why any of those guys would want to come play for the Rangers. There's, for there's the only one way you make that argument. You go so far above market value yes. that you that – you, and, and, again, that can be an issue as well when there's you get a guy just come for money. You got to go above value with market. You got to go above market with your. With They're going to have contract. to do that anyway. They have to do that. That's, That's just the tax they've got to pay. But the yeah. second part of it is the general thought is that there's five shortstops out there, and there's not going to be as as many teams looking for shortstops. Somebody's going to end up having to take money as their consolation, and we'll see who that is. All right. Speaking of teams that uh, that have embarrassed themselves lately. Uh, Texas embarrassed itself in Fayetteville over the weekend and, and uh, introduced a quarterback controversy, uh, which has already been, re- you know, hasn't been resolved, but uh, already Steve Sarkeesian has, has flipped from Hudson card, who was the guy he decided was his starting quarterback and went to Casey Thompson uh, after Thompson played pretty well in that game. You know, Here's the thing about college quarterbacks, and I don't know why this seems to be a hard thing for coaches to decide. If your quarterback is not an all-time passer, if he's if he's not somebody, if he's not Peyton Manning, just a, a guy who's just an unbelievable spinner of the football, and if your offensive line is not really good at keeping your quarterback upright, then you need a dual-threat quarterback in college football. You need a guy who can get out of trouble. And, and that's exactly what happened uh, Saturday against Arkansas for Texas. Uh, Hudson Carr got some pressure. The offensive line didn't play well. He, did, he certainly did not distinguish himself in the opportunities that he had. They brought in Casey Thompson, and you could make the argument, okay, it's the fourth quarter. It's late. Arkansas has already got this game in hand. Uh, but, but Casey did take them to two uh, scores. He, he is comfortable getting out of the pocket and making things happen on the run. But that's certainly uh, uh, what uh, Arkansas did as well. Had had a quarterback who, do, who could do the same thing. These are things that are important. Now, as far as Texas and where it goes from here, I think at this point they showed in that game, and after beating Louisiana, which barely beat Nichols, uh, you know, last weekend, I think that that game ended up being a little bit of uh, uh, just a little fool's gold that that win in the opener. Uh, I, I would I would say that you know basing. The idea that Texas is back on a win over the Louisiana Raging Cajuns might be a little bit foolish and might tell us just how far Texas is not back. If that's your if that's your benchmark for determining whether or not the program is good, then you've fallen a long way. Yeah, I, I think the, the issue for me in that game, you know, is that by hiring Steve Sarkeesian, there were some big boosters who really pushed for that. Uh, and, uh, I think that was, that was even more of a boosters hire than the ADs hire. And what they thought they were getting was that this guy has been working for Nick Saban and he is going to come in here and we're going to have a, a real wing ding of an offense, boy. It's going to, it's going to be unbelievable. And, and, you know, it just all goes back to the same old thing. You, you win with players, not, not with schemes. Uh, and, and so 
they they struggled uh, in that game mightily, uh, both on offense and defense. Uh, Arkansas just ran over them. Uh, 333 yards rushing in that game. It was just unbelievable to watch that happen to a Texas team, which they said they felt like that their defensive line is pretty good. Well, it certainly didn't look like it in that game. So, so Texas already has an issue. I think it's going to have an issue all all uh, year long. This is going. This is still Oklahoma's league, the Big Twelve, uh, and uh, Iowa State lost. And of course, I I'm not surprised by that either. That's a with Iowa. That's a big rivalry. Those rivalry games do mean something. Uh, so I think, but it's still going to be that. I think the issue for for uh, the other quarterback issue was that Texas A&M was really struggled to beat Colorado after Haynes King broke his ankle and is going to be out now through at least middle of October. That sounds pretty optimistic to me that he would be back. I, I would guess he wouldn't be back until almost November uh, at, at the earliest. I think uh, ankles are a fairly important part of the game. <laughs> the yes, they are. They're a pretty big deal. That's what uh, Dak Prescott could tell you that too. I mean, so, that, that, that's a devastating blow to their aspirations, isn't it? I mean, well, don't you have to look at them completely differently now? Well, I think there was a, enough question, a lot like the Texas situation where, well, who's your starting quarterback going to be? Yeah. Well, so they decided that it was going to be Haynes King or, or Zach Calzada. So, so you know, Calzada's got a big arm. Uh, he did not play well at the start of that game. Uh, A&M made a nice comeback, and he brought them back, and they won later. So that was, a, that was at least a good sign uh, that they could – they could do that. Uh, it, it still would bother me that they struggled that much against Colorado. You know, yeah. that, that was not a good sign for AM. You know, uh, they're, they're right. They started out the season as uh, one of the contenders for the college football playoff. Now, of course we haven't even had the CFP rankings yet. You know, the AP rankings mean nothing, uh, but it, it should give you an idea of, of what the general opinion is about these teams. Um, I, I do think that A&M still has a chance to have a very good season. You know, we'll see how Calzada does. And if he ends up maturing into that role and, and you know, I, I liked Kellen Mond a lot. He, he played, he won a lot of games at A&M. Um, and and he, now he's in the NFL. Uh, I, I didn't think he always played up to the, the level that everyone thought he would. He was a highly touted quarterback coming out of IMG. So, uh, I, I think that they have proven they can win with a quarterback who's just playing pretty well most of the time, not a, not a dominant quarterback. Uh, and, th- and that's what they're going to have to rely on again this year. I, I feel like they won that game basically because in the fourth quarter, it just showed that, that A&M is deeper than, than Colorado. It just looked like Colorado had gotten gassed. Um, and, and so what I'm judging Calzada on, I don't know at this point in time. I think it's going to be – I think what we're going to find out is, um, is Arkansas going to completely derail the state of Texas's hopes this year? In two weeks, <laughs> A.M. has Arkansas right here. Is yeah. that game here again in Arlington? That's in Jerry oh, World. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a real test for A.M. at this point. I mean, Arkansas Arkansas looked like a good football team. I'm not sure they're ready to contend for the for the SEC West, but they look like a good football team. I, I the, I think the thing that stuck out for me the most in that Texas game was uh, take Hudson Card out of the mix for a minute. But I, I just thought the the size of the holes that the Arkansas line continued to open up for its runners were just humongous. And if that line is that good under Sam Pittman, um, they could cause some trouble for some teams. Well, here's yeah, here's the thing about. Uh... 
Sam Pittman, who is in his second year at Arkansas as a head coach. He was the most underrated hire I, I, I can think of in the last 10 years. No one even cared that Sam Pittman had got that job. I was pushing Mike Leach for that job, you know, and uh, but there were Sam had been the offensive line coach at Arkansas several years ago. Uh, they had been very good when he was there. And some of his former players petitioned Hunter Juracek, the athletic director, and said, this is the guy you need to hire. He was known as a great recruiter, a great offensive line coach, and a good old boy. Uh, and, and that is what he has proven to be. He also hired Barry Odom, the former Missouri coach, as his defensive coordinator. And Barry Odom has done an unbelievable job as a defensive coordinator. Listen, I have two daughters that were on the Palm Squad at Arkansas. So we've seen a lot of bad football games over the last 10 years at Arkansas. And I want to tell you that I have never, in that time period, I have never seen Arkansas play better than in the short time that uh, Sam Pittman and Barry Odom have been in charge of that program. And, and Kendall Bryles is the offensive coordinator and has done a good job as well. So th- this team is very well coached. Uh, and they and they do have the opportunity maybe to make a little something happen here. I, I, they, they, they look like uh, an SEC school to me, an SEC program. And that's, you couldn't say that for much of the last, oh, I don't know, 15 years. Hey, Kevin, very quickly, did, and I, I don't know that you had time to fully address this in your column, but did you – when was the last time Arkansas had a bigger win than that in Fayetteville? Well, it's only the fourth time they've ever beaten Texas in Fayetteville. Think about that. Only the fourth time they've ever beaten Texas in Fayetteville. A phenomenal statistic to me. So it was big. And, the, and you know, you could tell that, that the, the entire field was filled with uh, fans after the game from end zone to end zone. It cost them $100,000, but they had a good party. You know what's bigger? What's that? Next week's podcast, because we need to wrap this one up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe we'll talk some more about some of this stuff. So that's going to do it for us this week. We appreciate you coming out. See you next time. Bye. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard, please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.